0: The John Wall Show, sponsored by Servicemaster of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the Yellow Van. Portions of today's program may be pre recorded.
1: History has been made. has been going on for almost four years. It almost happened several times, but not until today. Has somebody managed to distinguish themselves enough to win this in back-to-back weeks? And now, it's time for The Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Yep, she won it last week. It only took a few days this week for her to lock it up again. Vice President Kamala Harris jumping on the tragedy of floods in Kentucky to blame you for not caring enough about climate change.
2: For years... Our nation and many of us have discussed, have lamented, have talked about the threat of climate change. For years, we debated the potential impact that climate change could have on our communities, on our country, and our world. And today, we know the impact if folks weren't clear about it before. Just watch the evening news and see that the time for debate is long past. Climate change has become a climate crisis, and a threat has now become a reality. In recent days, deadly floods have swept through Missouri and Kentucky, washing away entire neighborhoods, leaving at least 35 dead, including babies, children, as has been reported, four children from one family. So the devastation is real. The harm is real. The impact is real. And we are witnessing it in real time
1: yep yeah, and uh, the, um, the, the climate change myth is also real. It's fake, but and it's a tragedy, no doubt. but uh, we've also pointed out during the show uh, during the, uh, on a show this week that there were worse floods in Kentucky in 1773. That's all you need to know. Anyway, here's where she clinched it by telling the Hicks and flyover country that they should be thrilled about ruining their countryside to make electricity for her liberal friends in the cities.
2: And in that way, we can move clean energy from where it is created to where it is needed. It is literally about the transportation of energy. So think from a wind farm in Iowa to a suburb in Chicago or from a solar farm in Nevada to a family farm in Missouri. How exciting is that?
1: Yeah, it's real exciting. Boy, is that dumb. Dumb enough to make Kamala Harris a back-to-back winner of the Windows R Us Jerk of the Week Award. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R Us,
0: Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for
1: windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. A heartbeat away from the presidency. Anyway, when we come back, uh, the rogue prosecutors are dropping like flies, and that's good news. And in our second half hour, we're going to talk about the stinking media and monkeypox. Stick around. Right now, get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee with prices set to increase on all exterior products. Lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at pittsburgh.com You've tried the rest, now try the best. windows are us. you've tried the rest, now try the best. My dog was scratching
0: and shedding like crazy around the house. When I heard about Dynavite Nutritional Supplement, I thought, why not? Couldn't hurt. We literally tried everything else. Our dog quickly took to it, and after a couple of weeks of adding Dynavite to his food, we noticed a big difference. Our little gizmo's coat was shinier, and he almost completely stopped shedding and itching. I'm so glad I tried Dynavite.
3: My dog smelled so bad and scratched herself constantly. We bathed, sprayed, and bathed her again, but no results. And then I heard about Dynovite supplements for gut health, and all of the reviews sounded just like my Bella. After just two weeks, she had major improvements with the smell, and no more scratching or dragging her stomach across the carpet. And her coat is more beautiful than ever.
0: Get 10% off your next order of Dynovite nutritional supplements for dogs at Dynovite.com.
4: Oh, happier, healthier with every bite. Over a million pets
5: helped with dinovites. Dan
4: owed an unbelievable amount of money to the IRS.
5: I got behind in my taxes. It's a horrible feeling.
4: He was in denial.
5: And when I got those letters from the IRS, he wanted to act like they didn't exist.
4: Finally, Dan turned to Optima Tax Relief, the leading tax resolution firm. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, they've resolved over $1 billion for their clients.
5: Optima got me a settlement with the IRS. These people are really people-friendly. It was every bit of a new lease on life for me.
4: The fast action and the great results made Dan's head spin.
5: I felt like I was in a dream, but it's real, and I have paperwork to prove it. They got the job done, and life is good.
4: For tax help you can trust, call Optima now for a free consultation.
5: If you're worried about what's going to happen with the IRS, stop worrying. Make the call now.
4: Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com.
1: MyPillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. This is John Stockerwald. We've all helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. The Percale bedsheet set is available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're all on sale. For example, the queen size is regularly priced at eighty nine ninety eight, but now it's only $39.98 with our listener promo code. Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percale sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. These come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. There's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-716-8087. Use the promo code STAG or go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square and use promo code STAG.
2: For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com.
1: The John Steigerwall
0: Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
1: Well, Ron DeSantis doesn't mess around. Um, he does something about about every other day to make liberals' heads explode. Yesterday, he suspended Florida State Attorney Andrew Warren. Zach Smith is legal fellow and manager of Supreme Court and Appellate Advocacy Program at the Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, he knows about this stuff, and he says it's a good thing, and he joins us now. Zach, thanks for coming on.
3: Of course. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: So, um, how rare is this? What DeSantis did yesterday.
3: Yeah, it's not something we've seen uh, other states, uh, other elected officials taking action and doing. Now, look, you know, each state's law is going to be a little bit different in terms of the powers that the governor may have to remove these rogue prosecutors. You know, we've seen out in California some being subjected to recalls uh, like Chase Boudin in San Francisco, where the voters in San Francisco, which aren't known for being particularly conservative, (laughs) recalled and removed. Chase is booting from office. Larry Krasner in uh, Philadelphia is facing a potential impeachment uh, by the Pennsylvania State Legislature there. Uh, But look, at the end of the day, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis looked at his powers and his responsibilities under the Florida Constitution and decided that it was not only within his power but appropriate to remove the rogue prosecutor Andrew Warren from office, who was essentially refusing to do his job and enforce certain laws.
1: So he would qualify as a, as a rogue prosecutor, and you wrote about, um, a few weeks ago, uh, you wrote about signs that the rogue prosecutor movement was a failure a few weeks ago. What exactly is the rogue prosecutor movement, and how long has it been around?
3: Well, it's really been around since late 2014, early 2015, somewhere in there. And essentially what we've seen, we've seen a few left-leaning billionaires, uh, led in large part by George Soros, but there are others as well, uh, who decided to go out and fund a lot of so-called progressive prosecutors who essentially pledged they weren't going to charge certain crimes, they weren't going to seek imprisonment for many offenses, they were going to seek to release most people without bail, and really implement a host of harmful policies in communities across the country. Now, George Soros and the others who backed this movement, they were really smart in a kind of a diabolical way because they figured out that in a lot of respects, the local elected prosecutor is the linchpin to the criminal justice system. Police can make arrests. Judges can issue sentences. But if a prosecutor won't bring charges, uh, really the rest of the, the mechanics in the system don't matter. And so because of that, we saw this focus on these local DA offices, which have historically been relatively low-profile, low-dollar affairs. And suddenly, uh, they have become very high-profile, high-dollar affairs in many of these uh, areas. And unfortunately, the consequences of these rogue prosecutors' policies has meant more crime in many cases, uh, less uh, justice uh, for victims and their families, and just an overall undermining of the rule of law.
1: So I know you can't get into the heads of these uh, these people who are backing this, but um, sh- would they be happy now that that this is that, that it's worked as, as you say it's, it looks like it might be dying now but for a long time uh, in Philadelphia, LA San Francisco you mentioned the places Baltimore there's others um, that it, 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 it worked so is that is that what they were after? Should they be happy about this? Well-
3: Well, I think we have to understand what their goals are and kind of the the background of the movement. You know, this rogue prosecutor movement, kind of the ideology behind it, really has its roots in the prison abolition movement, which is a very radical movement, a Marxist-inspired ideology that basically says, you know, we, we shouldn't have prisons or we shouldn't have very many prisons. And so many of these rogue prosecutors have bought into this false ideology that we have a problem with systemic racism in our criminal justice system. We don't. They bought into this ideology that we have a problem with mass incarceration in our country. We don't. Mass incarceration is a myth. If you look at who is actually in state and federal prisons around the country, uh, it's hardened, violent, repeat offenders. That's who's actually locked up uh, in state and federal prisons. And so if you look at it from their perspective, uh, that they want to basically, uh, incarcerate fewer individuals, prosecute fewer individuals, uh, then from that perspective, you know, their policies have been a success. If you're looking at it in terms of community safety, in terms of seeking justice for victims and their families, then from that perspective, uh, their policies have been utter failures and just disasters for the communities where they've been implemented.
1: Well, when you you hear Marxism, at least when I do, I I think of um, revolution and overthrowing the government and, um, you know, hammer and sickle and the whole thing. Um, What could their motivation be other than chaos? They can't possibly like the idea of more people being murdered, at least publicly they can't say they like that.
3: Well, they have really they put it in a little bit more uh, user friendly term <laughs> term: revolution or overthrow. They said they want to fundamentally reimagine our criminal justice system in our country, uh, and so you know they they're pushing a lot of this these rogue radical ideologies and goals under the guise of helping minority members of the community, particularly young black men who they say are disproportionately incarcerated in the United States. But you know, it's the sad irony of many of these policies. They're designed and implemented supposedly uh, to help the victims of our supposedly systemically racist criminal justice system. But if you look at who's actually harmed the most by these policies, it's minority members of our communities crime victims particularly gun crime victims tend to be disproportionately young black men uh, when crime rates increase it tends to be minority communities that disproportionately bear the brunt of those increased crimes and so because of that you know it really is a sad sad thing to see that these policies which are very bad and very harmful for a lot of reasons uh, but are supposedly designed to help minority members of the community those are the people that actually end up hurting the most
1: um And does this movement exist without George Soros? I know you mentioned there are other people besides him, but um, does this does this happen without George Soros, do you think?
3: Well, in some ways, I think it was uh, a marriage of, of convenience. So there are certain these academic radicals who had talked about the prison abolition movement for a period of time, who are wanting to take action. Uh, but it certainly would have been much more difficult, if not impossible, without the financial backing of george soros and I want to be clear george soros uh, he gives directly to some candidates uh, through his uh, uh safety and justice pacs he provides indirect support to some candidates either through independent expenditures or there's a host of third party organizations uh where the money trail is very difficult to untangle uh because you know it's it's tied up in secrecy, that it's very hard to, to follow, but there are third-party national organizations that essentially help push the talking points, the ideology, the policy goals down to these local elected prosecutors. And so the important takeaway is this is a national movement being driven by a few left-leaning billionaires, and at the end of these days, the policies that these rogue prosecutors implement, uh, it really creates lawlessness and ends up harming victims.
1: Understand. Well, I remember when people who wanted to become prosecutors uh, got into it because they were big on law and order. They, I uh, think, they, they, um, right. they consider themselves they wanted to be the hero. They loved putting criminals away. Uh, guys like Rudy Giuliani. Um, what what spawned this new breed that just wants to keep criminals safe? It's one thing for somebody like George Soros, uh, who's probably an evil person, to to fund this and have this in his mind that he wants to see it happen, but who spawned these these people who are willing to, to, to seek that position for the purpose of making things worse?
3: Well, George Soros is certainly pushing policies that are harmful to, to our country and harmful to our, our communities, especially in the criminal justice Space, But, you know, what we're seeing is many of the people who are now running for office have not spent their careers in law enforcement, have not spent their careers as prosecutors, but are really public defenders. Uh, Coming from a defense background, uh, someone who does not have that experience as a prosecutor, having to make those very difficult decisions day in and day out. In fact, Larry Krasner, Philadelphia's road district attorney, he said he views himself as a public defender with power. Now think about that for a minute. He views himself as a public defender with power. What would criminal uh, justice advocates, criminal defendants say if a criminal defense attorney said, well, I really view myself as a prosecutor with power, our second prosecutor in the courtroom? That's not how our criminal justice system is designed to work. It's designed to be adversarial. Everyone in the court has a uh, role to play, a duty to perform, and just like A criminal defense attorney's obligation is to their client uh, to try to make sure that the prosecutor meets their burden of proving their charges beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the highest burden we have in American law. The prosecutor also has a duty uh, to seek justice uh, for the victims of crimes and to keep communities safe. And unfortunately, those are not the priorities that the rogue prosecutors in many, many cities are taking and doing right now. And so in that sense, you know, I say good on Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, for making sure that he is going to use all of the power available to him under the Florida Constitution to make sure that the local elected prosecutors in Florida are doing their jobs, are not usurping the role of the state legislature, basically saying, I disagree with crime, so I'm not going to enforce them, and taking power to make sure uh, that the, that prosecutor will be in office who will do their duty and seek justice for victims.
1: We're talking to Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, also manager of the Supreme Court and appellate advocacy program there. Um, so uh, did what DeSantis did yesterday um, put some of these DAs who are still out there, the rogues, on shaky ground? Or do you have to be a rogue who's in a red state or at least in a, in a state uh, governed by a Republican in order to be in any danger here?
3: No. Uh, you know, I was mentioning earlier, Chesa Boudin was the rogue DA in San Francisco. You know, San Francisco is not a conservative bastion uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but the voters in San Francisco realized how harmful, uh, how radical these policies are, that they actually successfully recalled and removed Chesa Boudin from office.
1: Yeah, I understand and that. So but, now Chesa, yeah, but excuse me, Zach. What, what, yeah. I, what I meant was... Um, Desantis seemed to get around all that messy recall stuff, and he just got rid of him because he's a Republican. Well, and what I'm asking is, could any? Would is is it possible that other governors will do this, or does it have to be a Republican governor who wants to get rid of a rogue DA who's most likely a Democrat?
3: Well, I think a lot of it's going to depend on state law, what the state law provides. Ron DeSantis has this power under Florida's constitution. Not every governor in the country would have that power. But look, I think as a practical matter, many on the left may be hesitant to take that type of action, even if they did have it available. But, you know, there are cracks starting to emerge because Lori Lightfoot, the Democratic mayor of Chicago, she has been very critical of the rogue prosecutor there, Kim Fox.
4: Mm
6: -hmm. And
3: so even on the left, as crime increases, you're starting to see divisions emerge, cracks emerge, and a general recognition that we need law and order uh, in order for our communities to be safe and for our our society to function.
1: How much of a role have the media played in, in enabling this stupidity?
3: Well, they played a a large role to some degree because, look, when these rogue DAs were running for office, many of them talk in general, broad platitudes, they say they want an equal justice system, a fair justice system. They want everyone to to be treated equally, regardless of race or gender. These are uncontroversial statements that all of us probably agree with or should agree with. But what happens when these rogue get into office, it quickly becomes apparent that they meant something else entirely, uh, that they're going to take a radical approach, not prosecute many crimes, again, not seek penalties uh, for many crimes, not seek uh, to hold offenders uh, without bail in many instances. And so I think it is incumbent on the media to report on what these rogue prosecutors are doing, what their policies actually mean. And things have gotten so bad in some cities, like San Francisco, like Chicago, that we are starting to see the media drilling down and really reporting some very damaging statistics in terms of success rate at trial, charge rate, those types of things uh, for these rogue pros- prosecutors compared to their predecessors.
1: It's, it's hard to sell that program when videos keep popping up and going viral of people committing crimes who were either then just then let out you know two days after they did what was shown on the video or it's found out that they were out because uh, a few days after committing a crime because of the stupidity it that, that I guess it's a cumulative effect of all that that's been going on here in the last several months
3: well th- that's right I mean look and again you know even politicians on the left Eric Adams in New York City, he's pushing back against Alvin Bragg. <laughs> Uh, who's the Soros DA in Manhattan, many of his uh, catch and release policies, essentially. And so I do think, you know, you raise an important point. As community members begin to be aware of what these policies are, what the consequences are, we are starting to see a bigger backlash against these policies and the DAs who implement them. And so I suspect as this continues to progress, as we continue to see these policies, we're going to see more and more of that backlash taking place. Now, don't don't make a mistake though those on the left are going to try to push back again you know we saw an op-ed from george soros in the wall street journal this past week essentially defending many of these rogue prosecutors and their policies and so this is going to be a battle that continues to play out i suspect uh, for the coming months and and the next several years frankly as uh, you know citizens really try to reclaim control of their own communities
1: well, let's hope some sanity returns. Uh, Zach, I appreciate you coming on and clearing this up. A great explanation of where this came from and where it might be going. I appreciate
3: it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Take okay.
1: care. Okay, that's Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back.
5: Count code ERIC.
0: With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Thunderstorms have returned to parts of Kentucky. The National Weather Service has issued a flood watch through Sunday evening for areas that were hit hard a week ago. Some areas could receive up to three inches by tonight. New York State Health officials upping their call for residents to get vaccinated against polio.
2: They're describing it as the tip of the iceberg. In a statement, New York Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett warns residents that for every one case of paralytic polio observed, there may be hundreds of other people infected. The polio virus has now been found in wastewater samples in both Rockland and Orange Counties, both known as centers of vaccine resistance. Bassett is urging the community to get inoculated to keep from suffering the fate of an unvaccinated young adult who developed paralysis. The first person known to be infected with polio in the U.S. in nearly a decade. I'm Jennifer King.
0: The Dow is down 18 points and the Nasdaq off 120. This is SRN News.
2: If
5: you were lied to and buying a timeshare and worn out, you need my help. Hi, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started the timeshare cancellation industry by exposing the ugly truth about timeshare and giving folks the straight facts. I've been fighting the timeshare giants ever since, so no one knows this industry better than me and my team. Today, we have 383 employees and have saved our clients an average of $65,000 in lifetime payments. Imagine putting those Timeshare dollars back in your pocket. If you were told in a Timeshare presentation that this was available today and today only, that Timeshare was a great investment, or your maintenance fees will never go up, call my office now. I guarantee if we take you as a client, We will cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call
0: now for your free information kit. 800-881-4242. 800-881-4242. 800-881-4242. Charlie Kirk says it's not time to rest. There is work to be done, everybody, and the numbers are not good. There is legitimate tightening in every single poll, including
6: the ones that we trust. Generally, there is this malaise that is set over the Republican Party. It's as if, oh, we're going to win no matter what. We might as well just enjoy the summer.
0: Time to wake up, everybody. The Charlie Kirk Show, weeknights at 9 on AM 1250. The answer. Whose rule book do you want to play by, the government's or your own? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Without a proper estate plan, many families end up playing by the government's rulebook and losing a lot of what they'd intended to leave to their families. That's why Abernathy and Hagerman presents free, ongoing estate planning workshops with attorney Dan Reimer to help you protect what's yours and make sure the government plays by your rules. The next one's happening soon. For details and to attend, visit a-h.law. I'm Father Don Fisher inviting you to join me for my new show, Pastor Reflections. I pray that it is an uplifting, inspiring program that will deepen and enrich your understanding of your spiritual journey and most especially open you to the promise of God's indwelling presence. It enables you to know a love that exceeds all others. I hope you'll join me on Sunday morning at 7.30 on News, Opinion, Insight, The Answer. Meet Brad. Brad's hard at work, or at least his website is ever since he added live chat with salem surround brad's customers are getting their questions answered 24 7 website purchases have gone up 35 percent and they're over three times more likely to buy from him again no bots just real people helping real people live chat one of the easiest most affordable ways salem surround can increase your business while you do other things or nothing at all ask us how It's surroundpittsburgh.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got The Answer.
2: Well, it's been a rough afternoon on the highways all around the area. Now there's an accident blocking three lanes inbound on the Parkway North at Venture Street, jammed back to McKnight Road. Let's look at twenty eight. Still pretty heavy on the outbound side from Route 8 up to Delafield Avenue. Parkway East, that's busy outbound. Boulevard of the Allies up to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Parkway West, at least that's not too bad at the moment. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM
0: 1250, the answer, weather. Cloudy and humid this afternoon with a few heavy thunderstorms, a high 81. An evening thunderstorm, then clouds. Tonight's low, 69 sunshine and clouds with showers and a thunderstorm humid Saturday with a high 83 tomorrow night low 70 Sunday clouds and sun with an afternoon thunderstorm high 83 and a high 81 for Monday with Iraqi weather forecast I'm Andy Robb this is the John Stacker Walt show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5 the answer
1: Well, the media continue to embarrass themselves. For two and a half years now, we've watched most of them embarrass themselves uh, by acting as state media when reporting on Dr. Fauci and the government's enforcement of COVID protocols. Well, now they're embarrassing themselves again with a different disease, I think, anyway. Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for The Hill. Always good to have him on to get his take on this stuff. And he joins us now. Jeff, thanks for coming on.
6: Uh, You're welcome, John. Great to be with you.
1: So, uh, is it just me, or or have the media bent themselves into pretzels uh, trying to avoid saying that monkeypox affects mostly gay, promiscuous men?
6: Yeah, the media really has a challenge on its hands here because they are so determined to be politically correct that they're hesitant to really start reporting the nature of the health emergency that has been created uh, in monkeypox. And part of the part of the problem here is that they are hesitant to really describe the way in which this disease is being transmitted. And there's, you know, plenty of evidence to show that it is primarily, you know, the number of cases are primarily being transmitted through the gay community. And, you know, nobody should, you know, celebrate that one way or the other. But that at a certain point, you know, we've been told over the last several years to follow the science the science seems to tell us that that is the way that the disease, for the most part now, again, not 100%, but for the most part, is being transmitted. And I think one of the problems when the media works too hard to bend over backwards to be politically correct, that we end up starting to talk about things that are kind of getting us off the target.
0: Yep.
6: For, for example, uh, this afternoon earlier at noontime, I was watching a local Indianapolis TV station, and they were doing a report on monkeypox. And it was uh, fed from one of the networks. I think it was ABC, actually, but uh, I could be wrong on that. But nonetheless, it was a network-fed report about monkeypox. And one of the things they talked about in there is like, oh, you know, this disease is transmitted through close physical contact. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, but it's a particular kind of close physical contact that has created most of the transmission. But they went on, and they also said, oh, this disease can be transmitted through particles in the air. And this disease can be transmitted through contact with, with infected surfaces. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second here. We're now starting to, be, because we're concerned with political correctness and not identifying the behavior that is spreading this disease primarily, we're getting people to be worried that they're going to touch a surface in Walmart and come home and have monkeypox and the reality is that is not the way it is mostly getting spread and it's not getting spread through particles in the air and i'm thinking we got to focus on what what the facts are uh and there there's sufficient evidence now about the transmission and none of this is designed to stigmatize a community which i know that many of the the media people are concerned about. We don't want to stigmatize a community. And I'm saying, sure, I, I don't think we should stigmatize a community, but I think we should also explain to people more precisely how this disease is transmitted and to, to maybe suggest that this is maybe not a national health emergency, but a matter of people being paying attention to their behavior to make sure that they don't put themselves at risk.
1: Yeah. Now, um <laughs> it's now when they when they said that about surfaces uh, it is it is possible to be transferred from surfaces but that what they're talking about is uh, blankets or clothing or something that came in contact with the person who already has it and not not by touching it at Walmart but by the 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 uh, how do I put this the bed clothing the Clothes that you were wearing while you were uh, participating in gay uh, and homosexual sex—that's the—that's the surfaces they're talking about, and they're saying you may have to make sure that if you do have sex, that everything is cleaned properly and blah blah blah, so that it isn't trans uh, transmitted. But it's it's it still comes down to the same thing that causes it. It's not someone who has monkeypox. Picking up a can of Campbell's soup at the Walmart, and then you picking it up later—you ain't getting right. it that way. And th- and they don't—they right. don't let you, they w- they don't—they should make that clear.
6: And I think that the media reporting, and again, I don't want to like go overboard here. Right. But generally speaking, most of the media reporting I have seen has not put things in proper context no. because they have been trying to make it. They've tried, they've tried to not focus on the particular behaviors out of fear that they are going to be you know, you know, insulted or you know, berated for labeling or stereotyping a community. And I'm just thinking, we need to get beyond that, okay? Because this is not about trying to be politically correct. This is about trying to get out particular information to let people know how this disease is transmitted and also how it's not, uh, and I don't think it it does any good as a nation for even the president to be going out and talking about this as a national emergency when it's really not. I it's mean, not, your no. your average person walking down the street does not have to worry about this disease. Now, if you engage in certain kinds of behaviors, you need to know that you might be at more risk than other people, but th- that's a separate thing. And this is not a national emergency in the same sense of, you know, COVID, certainly, uh, and that many people got it who who could not have seen it coming, and they had no way to avoid getting it, okay? Mm -hmm. But in terms of a national emergency, the, the average person is at much more risk, you know, walking down the street in a big city at night uh, than they are of, like, just having monkeypox just descend upon them sitting in their apartment.
1: It's 99% gay, promiscuous sex, uh, multiple partners in the last 14 days. That's that's what they're telling people. But, um, no, here's an example. And, and, Go yeah, ahead.
6: And a, and a sensible community would, would be able to say that without fear of
1: backlash. Well, Jeff, the, the the whole point of the media reporting on it, the number one point and the number one point i guess for the governor the government to be interested in getting the word out is to protect the very people that the media are so afraid of mentioning because they might think it's directed at them it is directed at them for their own good and you're not allowed to say that right yeah exactly right well uh cecilia cecilia vega on good morning america said this is from newsbusters i should give them credit because i get a lot of stuff from them but uh they they to take the time to watch all these people that i don't want to watch but anyway uh cecilia vega on good morning america said quote i have heard this in my own life from friends and family members that this is predominantly right now anyway spreading between men who have sex with men that's another thing by the way you can't say gay men you have to say men who have sex with men and people feel like a community is being stigmatized because of this well that that's on national tv this morning Now, is that a reporter lamenting the fact that people are offended by the reporting of, you know, facts?
6: Yeah, this is interesting because this this is a reporter, Cecilia Vega, who I think is like bending over backwards or turning herself into a pretzel to try to make it look like she's politically correct. And I'm just thinking, you know, we, we don't need her to posture. We don't need her to try to explain. We need her to report about a disease and what the prospects are of any particular person getting it, and also to let us know how serious it is. And, you know, and that, that's why they presumably bring in medical experts. I'm not sure we need Cecilia Vega, you know, the, trying to interpret the medical information for us necessarily, but also this goes beyond just whether or not a community is being stigmatized. You know, this this goes to whether or not you know, we are reporting about a medical matter accurately. And heaven's sakes, we've got plenty of information now that we know about how COVID turned into a political football very early on, and that distracted people from looking at it particularly as a medical scientific thing. And one of the things that I look back on now, and I think, you know, I remember when we had not only the medical people like Fauci and Dr. Burks, but also the political people like Nancy Pelosi saying, the science, we follow the science. And we now know that they weren't necessarily following the science, and also that of the science they did know, or, or they thought they knew, that some of it was not correct at the time. A
2: lot of it, and so
6: yeah. I think that that's a danger in the medical, in the reporting of medical issues, is that people draw conclusions and they're worried about implications that have nothing to do with facts or informing the public that we're posturing and worrying about who's going to be upset or where the online mob is going to go or protecting people from being stigmatized as opposed to protecting them for their health.
1: Well, you mentioned that they, they lean on uh, doctors, medical people. This is, again, this is a news story on this. They, they checked out all the networks and how they were talking about this. Um, Jennifer Ashton, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, she's been everywhere on ABC since COVID arrived. uh, And she's very good on television. She looks like she should have been on TV all her life, but she's a doctor. And this is her response to what I just told you Cecilia Vega said. She said, this is a doctor now. Right. And I think the language needs to be better. We should be focusing more on behavior, not a community. Terminology matters. What does that mean?
6: (laughs) Well, again, I think she's trying to uh, posture and turn herself into a pretzel to make sure that she's not stereotyping or labeling and I, I must say part of that statement I agree with when she says we should be focusing more on behavior not a community but where she's missing the boat here and where there's an inconsistency is it is behavior that is exhibited in particular communities and it's not exclusively where people are going to get monkeypox. but we know that in the gay community they have more of a concern for the spread now than in other corners of our society and so when jennifer ashton says terminology matters i'm thinking yes it does matter and that's why you shouldn't be so worried about you know term, you know putting use things the, in terms that are politically correct use
1: the terminology you
6: more. yeah <laughs> you use the proper terminology and also you know focusing on behavior is great not a community but certain communities engage in certain behavior that other people don't.
1: Yeah. Uh, and and um, I, I, we're talking, to, by the way, to Jeff McCall. He's a professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for The Hill. Um, how uh, – has the – have the media uh, used up all their credibility when it comes to reporting on diseases? How much do they have left? Guy, you know –
6: Sadly, I think one of the problems we have now in dealing with the continuing COVID crisis is that people are not going to listen to what the media tells them. And partly they're not going to listen to necessarily what the scientists have been telling us either. And, you know, heaven forbid that we have another COVID-type pandemic in our future, but if we do you can bet that there are a lot of corners of society that are going to say, hey, forget this, we listened to Fauci and Burks, and we listened to the experts and the Surgeon General and all these people, and they had us keep kids out of school, which made them dumb when that wasn't necessarily. They told us if we all went out and got vaccinated, it would stop the pandemic, which is not the case now. Um, And I saw this on uh, a news report just the other day that Australia, as a nation, had maybe, or amongst the top several highest vaccination rates in the world, Mm -hmm. all right, and also amongst the highest booster rates in the world, but Australia per capita right now is suffering a very high incident rate and a higher death rate per capita than any place else in the world.
1: And the most draconian lockdowns, I think. And the
6: most lockdowns, and so clearly they didn't even get a handle on that thing, so it's partly the scientific community, but where I fault the media in all this is that they went hook, line, and sinker for everything the scientific community told them, and they didn't question as much as they should have, you know, the so-called medical experts.
1: Well, there was also, and, and, Jeff, there was also a reluctance to have a, a, um, a second opinion from a doctor. You know, well, for, yeah, and uh, interestingly,
6: uh, uh, there uh, were some doctors floating around, right. Scott Atlas, for one, and Marty McCary, and yeah. I mean, from Johns Hopkins, I mean, there were there were experts out there who were providing contrary points of view, and the mainstream media, of course, shut them down and belittled them, and of course, they made fun of any of the governors in states where they were trying to keep schools open and that sort of thing, yeah. by just basically saying, oh, they're going to be killing these kids, mm-hmm. and like, well, come on, wait a second, You know, and that's another thing we we know now. And again, you know, the first few weeks of the COVID thing, I understood that the media had hair on fire and played chicken little to the hilt because nobody knew stuff. Right. But relatively early in the pandemic, it became pretty clear that kids were not going to be at risk uh, of anything more than a sniffle, except in a rare, rare circumstance. But, Jeff, didn't the
1: media do a pretty good job of making sure people didn't know that?
6: Oh, yeah, the media kept that under wraps. They didn't report those early studies. You know, within, within three months, they had studies <clears throat> coming out of places like Georgia and Florida that the schools that had shut down had no better incident rates in their communities than the schools that had stayed in the communities where the schools had stayed open. Yeah. But that didn't get out there, and so everybody's still running around thinking, oh, you've got to shut down all the schools. And that, we know now that that was, that was a fool's errand for sure.
1: Now, I have a couple of minutes left and on to another subject. What, what do you make of Fox News banning Donald Trump? I, I guess he hasn't been on their air now for about three and a half months, other than, you know, showing up on a soundbite. But he's not been a guest on a show. Uh, they, they're doing a pretty good job of not putting him on TV.
6: Yeah, I think they're trying to sort out what all this means for them going forward. And I think one of the things that has kept him off of Fox News is that the January 6th committee, of course, has been forefront in the news. And I think Fox is trying to sit there and figure out, hey, wait a second, how culpable is Trump in all this? And he looks bad in a lot of the January 6th committee hearings, and they don't want to make it look like they're in collaboration with uh, the guy who led the insurrection, quote unquote, okay? So I think Fox is taking a very deliberate approach, and I must say on the one hand i kind of get that but on the other hand i would think trump is still a newsmaker whatever you think of trump he still is a newsmaker you know partly because there's a prospect that he wants to run again partly because he's endorsing political candidates left and right and his endorsement is a factor i'm not sure it's the deciding factor but it is a factor in most of these races okay and i kind of figure any ex-president who weighs in in the public arena, still is worth at least paying attention to a little bit. And that's certainly the case on the rare occasions when Bill Clinton speaks or Barack Obama speaks or even Jimmy Carter, if he steps forward and says, I've got an opinion on something, the news media want to put him out there. And so my feeling is for Fox or all the other networks, they should not blackball Trump now I mean, they should—they should use editorial discretion. Does is what he's saying important in the news agenda, well, you or you are not.
1: allowed to challenge him?
6: Well, sure, and and everybody's challenging him, uh, particularly with regard to you know his endorsements for particular candidates, or if he says something about immigration or whatever. So, I guess my feeling is I don't think Fox should be bending over backwards to put him you know front and center. Uh, and I, but I also don't think they should like blackball him either, uh, and negate him from being a newsmaker, which he clearly is.
1: I just got a little bit of time left, uh, Jeff. Two local TV news anchors and a local TV weatherman have won primaries uh, in the last few weeks. The biggie was Kerry Lake in Arizona this week. Do you do you detect a trend there?
6: <laughs> <laughs> well. The one thing we know about people who work in television news is they have plenty of Mm -hmm. self-confidence, but they also have visibility, which is a real leg up for somebody who wants to become a public official. Uh, People know who they are and people have made judgments about them. Um, It'll be interesting to see if this kind of continues. I would say, you know, somebody like Terry Lake in Arizona, that she's, she's a well-known quantity. People know who she is, uh, she's photogenic and that she was a television news anchor. So in some regards, that gives her some built-in advantages in the political world. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see some other high-profile people end up trying to run for office. And, you know, you didn't mention uh, Dr. Oz, and he was never an anchor, but he was certainly a television personality. And those people have a leg up against an average Joe just walking out of the bar and saying, I want to run for Congress.
1: I only have about 30 seconds for this, probably not enough time. What's your uh, take on Karine Jean-Pierre as a uh, press secretary?
6: Well, interestingly, I was quoted on foxnews.com about her just the other day, so people can look that up. Bottom line is, I I, I don't think she's up to the task. Uh, I think, you know, when you have to rely on binders so much, you just (laughs) don't come off as spontaneous, and it looks like you don't know or have confidence in what you're saying. And I also think it's worth noting that The White House is sending uh, other people up to that podium to stand next to her Mm -hmm. a lot of the time now. They're putting other people up there to answer questions, and that rhetorically signals that they're not confident she can handle this arena by herself.
1: And she's uh, in way over her head, and it's obvious. Hey, um, Jeff, always good to have you on. Great to have you. Thanks. Thank you, John. Okay, that's Jeff McCall of DePaul University. We'll be right back.
5: You were lied to when buying a timeshare and worn out, you need my help. Hi, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started the timeshare cancellation industry by exposing the ugly truth about timeshare and giving folks the straight facts. I've been fighting the timeshare giants ever since, so no one knows this industry better than me and my team. Today, we have 383 employees and have saved our clients an average of $65,000 in lifetime payments. Imagine putting those timeshare dollars back in your pocket. If you were told in a timeshare presentation that this was available today and today only, that timeshare was a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, call my office now. I guarantee if we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing.
0: Call now for your free information kit. 800 881 4242. 800 881 4242. 800 881 4242. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250. The answer.
1: And I will close the week with the great Vin Scully. And we like to mix politics and sports here. Here you go.
4: Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2.
1: Anyway, oh and 2 Is that tremendous or what? And remember, he's he's broadcasting in Los Angeles where there are a million, you know, everybody out there, not everybody, but a huge portion of his audience, liberal, and uh, the way he snuck that in there, uh, and it was, that was a, by the way, that was a, a television game he was doing. It wasn't a radio game. So you're watching the game, and uh, whoever the hitter was, I'm guessing it was a hitter from Venezuela, and so he saw it, thought he'd work in a little comment on socialism. But the best part was the, anyway, 0 oh and 2. <laughs> anyway, I'll see you tomorrow. Or I mean Monday. Bye.
0: John Steinerwald's show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Servicemaster of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow fan. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.